Hello beautiful, you are listening to episode 81 of the Africana Woman Podcast. Chulu is my name, I'm a writer, self-branding coach, entrepreneur and mentor. This show is the home of African women's stories. We share ideas, triumphs, challenges and lessons from our perspective as women. Our library is a step to cementing our place in history. Her story, your story, is powerful. Thank you for tuning in, you guys. I love you so much. Thank you so much for all the feedback. I see you guys, Dembi. Everybody was just showing so much love. Lelo, guys, I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening in every week. It's just Ah, it makes me feel so happy. (laughs) So please, if you are new here, welcome my darling and hit the subscribe button, okay? Or visit AfricanaWoman.com and become an official Africana Woman visionary. So we are 18 conversations away from the 100th episode of the Africana Woman podcast. So excited. Now for the hundredth episode, we are having a live podcast recording with a live audience right here at Kumushi Garden in Kabwe. If you want to be one of the hundred guests, please go to the show notes and sign up. Listen, it's going to be fire. I should get Tuba. She always has these like amazing Nigerian ways of saying things. You know where they hype you up, yeah? <laughs> At Friars, we are your gizzards. <laughs> I need to want to do something. Anyway, if you want to be a sponsor for this event, I'm not going to say no. So you can get in touch as well. The link is in the show notes. Guys, go check it out. And if you're not in Zambia and you still want to be part of this wonderful celebration, I want you to be part of the celebration. Listen, you can leave us a voice note. You can leave us a message. Maybe you have a question for a guest who's been on before. Tell us how you want to participate. Again, show notes. That's where you'll find all the links to do all of these things. So the 100th episode is coming up, my guys. All roads lead to Kabwe on September 24th. See you there. Yay. <laughs> so last week, we had an amazing success story of how Immigration can really help you achieve your wildest dreams. To continue the conversation around immigration, I invited the chief dreamer, Nancy Mulemwasisi herself, to take us through the nuances of actually moving to another country. Well, at least her experiences. Please enjoy the conversation. Nancy Mulemwasisi was born and raised in Zambia and later migrated to America where she settled in New York and she's been living there for 20 years. She has over 15 years of experience in the financial industry, working as a financial center manager. Being an immigrant has been one of the most challenging and extraordinary experiences of her life. It inspired her to start her podcast, Concrete Pastures, an African Immigrant Story, as a platform to reach out to fellow immigrants and dreamers. Nancy's goal is to provide a platform to to deconstruct the world's view of immigrant status and unlock the joys, laughs, and bravery that being a dreamer brings out. Listen, guys, welcome my sister, Miss Nancy Mulemwa Sisi. First of all, you should see her. She looks gorgeous. I was like, this girl is trying to stress me out. Like, <laughs> I, I can't with you. My thing is, my, my jewelry is falling off, first of all, for your audience. <laughs> We're already having, you know, we're no having wardrobe issues. Uh huh. We're having wardrobe issues already, so I, I shouldn't move. This thing won't move. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. How are you? Thank you, honey. Thank you so much. Great intro. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited. First, I want to congratulate you on all your awards that you keep receiving. Thank you. Thank you very this, much. This is a big deal. Like content. <laughs> Making is so hard. And when you actually get recognized for what you are doing and putting out there, oh, I'm so proud of what you're doing. I'm proud of you. And just many, 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 many success to you. And thank thank you for having me again. 
Thank yeah. you so much. So Nancy and I were connected through Patrice Washington's community. Of course, she's got different um, programs she's done over the years. And we got connected through through that. And I'm just so grateful for that community because I feel like it keeps giving and giving wonderfulness into <laughs> my life. Then, yeah. But, okay, I always start with this question. I think let's go there. Otherwise, we'll just go off on the whole tangent. <laughs> Tell me, what is your favorite childhood memory? My favorite? Oh, I have many. One that's special to me is that I keep, actually revisiting every now and then is when we used to laugh with my sisters about nothing would be outside and we just cackling about nothing. And our neighbor, like one time I came out, I was coming out and he literally asked, it's like, what do you guys laugh at? Like, what do you laugh about? It's just, we talk about nothing and the joy that came, like, you know, having the belly laugh, that's what I remember. And I miss that, like having that belly laugh with my sisters and thinking about nothing. There's no stress, no nothing, just having that. I, I miss it. I miss that. Thank Aww. you for reminding me of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know there's, there's just some, some memories that just bring, like it literally brings like the warmth and laughter and joy into you. So I love that. Now you are also from Zambia, but you're not yeah. in Zambia like right now. You've been away for 20 years, <laughs> but tell us which part of Zambia do you come from? Mongo, Western province. Just give us a little bit of a background about, you know, how you grew up. How did you find yourself in the States? First, I mean, I share a lot on the podcast and I would encourage like a lot of um, your audience also to like listen to my once upon a time is actually what I share. And uh, we grew up very rural and just to paint a picture because everybody's listening from everywhere is if you've seen Queen of Cartway, it gives you that perspective of how we grew up. My mom, I guess, separated from my dad and she became a single mother. And being poor, it was like the the thing for us. So we became poor right away. And my grandmother was a single mother. Her husband died. So she was already raising her children in a very rural area. We also just were left with her for her to take care of us. So it was eight of us growing up, including my sisters. And our house, you know, was made out of clay. Two rooms, we slept on the floor. We ate a lot of dry fish, which is not my favorite food to eat in those days. Now I actually appreciate it. I eat it a lot. Once my mom, like I'm fast forwarding, once my mom actually made it, the first thing that she did, which I actually uh, applaud my mom for, she bought my grandmother a house with electricity, water, because before, prior to that, we were going all over the place to looking for water. We would go bathing, like doing re- the rainy season, the plains. I don't know anybody uh, who's not from Zambia. We have a whole plain of grass and when it rains, it floods. And that's what we would go, uh, swim, take a bath or whatever it is. So we'd be doing that during the rainy season. Once my mom bought a home for my grandmother, we were able to have a shower and have a tap right in front of our house. She had an orchard. It it was just amazing to see this and humbling. And I learned a lot of uh, from taking care of your your parents, giving back in a way to your parents uh, for taking care of you. And in my mom's case, taking care of her kids. And then from there... Um, when I was going to seventh grade, my mom decided to take us all to uh, Lusaka, which is where she was living. And um, when we got there, <laughs> um, my mom was still traveling a lot. She used to travel outside the country to other countries. She's traveled a lot. And we would end up staying with the housekeepers. And for my mom, it was non-negotiable. It's no, it's, everybody talked about boarding schools. She was just like, you know what? I'm going to put you guys in boarding school. We were all young. First, when we went to Refidim, all three of us, we're all girls. All three of us went to Refidim. My youngest sister hated it. 
And my mom's like, okay, let me find somewhere else where I can put her. Me and my other young sister, Angola, we stayed at Refidim. And it was the best time that I actually had the best time. Independence. Uh, made a lot of friends that I'm still friends with to date. And um, it just changed the well-being of me. I grew up fast, in a way. And from there, once I graduated, I had nothing to do, really. <laughs> My mom, as business was flourishing, uh, she used to take me around with her. Uh, let's go to the bank together. Let's go. Like, I would run errands everywhere. I share more in detail this story uh, on the podcast. But then uh, when she asked me what I wanted to do, I told her I wanted to go to America because my aunt was here. And all she talked about was how great she was. She was sending uh, money to my grandmother all the time. Uh, example, $500 a month. That was a lot. So I got the impression that the money was flowing. It was easy to get. And uh, when my mom asked me, it was just a no-brainer. I want to go to America. But when I and then that was the dream. It started from there. And 20 years later, I'm here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so I think it's um, interesting, your path in terms of, you know, after high school, that's when you, you, you left Zambia and then found yourself in a foreign country, which is similar to my story because when, um, when I finished high school here, the first stop was the UK and then eventually I was in the States. And it's, there's just like a, a culture shock. <laughs> I think there's a way that you describe it in terms of, you know, you, you watch things on TV or, you know, there are movies and things like that. And you have a certain picture of what it's like. But then when you actually arrive, it's like, wait a moment, this is completely different. What are like your top culture shocks? Top uh, two. Uh, my top two. For me, was the language. Like I spoke, I speak English. And even though I learned English later in my life, I could communicate with people. So all the time when somebody met me, to today, to today, people still are shocked that I speak English. As soon as they find out I'm from Zambia and I'm African, they look at me and they're like, oh my God, you speak English. But we're not surprised the other way around. If somebody comes to Zambia and they speak in English, for us, it's the norm. It's our official language. I stopped even explaining at this point in my life that English is the, you know, the official language in my country by the way, that shocked me, just people being shocked that I speak English. And then, <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to get in trouble for this. So, <laughs> so when I was back home, you know how our tradition, where we, we wear our wraps and all of that. So I would wear a wrap. My mom would tell me, oh, your bum look like one. <laughs> Because I was so skinny and I've always liked my figure as just being skinny. I was athletic. I ran track in, in school. So I maintained that. I still try to maintain that after two babies, but it is what it is at this point. <laughs> so when I came here, I was so shocked of uh, how um, heavy everybody was and I fit, I, I felt like I fit in, that I felt like uh, I was not judged when it came to how my body looked because of the culture of our country for a lot of us, for me, especially being raised the way I was raised. It was, I admired my aunts. They had the Coca-Cola chefs. I, did, I, I, I admired it, but I never envied it like for me to want to have it. And when I came here, it was a mixture of all figures for everybody. So I felt, you know, this is the culture that I could fit in. And I was happy to have that. I was like, oh, there's all different sizes of people, full figures, skinny. And I felt like I fit in. 
unlike in my country when it came to, because even the men for me, I felt like they wanted the full figure type of women compared to the slim people. Uh, because I played track also, everything grew later. Everything. <laughs> like I was in seventh grade, there's people who have like, you know, everything grown and I'm just like, okay, I don't have anything. But coming here, I felt like I fit in. It was shocking to see that, that there was so many people, different sizes of women and nobody said anything of until nowadays. But when I came, it was just like, I felt, I felt like I fit in in this culture. It was shocking for me. Even the bathing suit was a shocker. Yeah. Like the first time I went to the beach, you know, we don't have a beach in our country. So the first time I went to the beach, I felt very naked, very, very naked. My aunt made me feel comfortable because she had been here already. So having somebody, I think, here helped me transition into that. And I didn't feel too uncomfortable, even though I was uncomfortable, but it helped me. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. I was like, okay, wow. she's comfortable. I should be good. Yeah. How did you find yourself in the financial industry? So I'll take you back to Zambia a little bit. <laughs> my mom used to take me to Standard Chartered. At the time, my mom's business was doing amazing. So she would go to the uh, concierge side and we'll be sitting there. They are catering to her. But it was just the girl that was uh, taking care of my mom's finances, how she carried herself, how she was just so present. And even the uniform, you know, they have to wear uniform. Here we don't wear uniforms. They wear uniforms. She looked amazing. I was like, this is what I want to do in my life. And it was in the back of my head because when I came here, I when I when I started to go to college, I was like, I'm going to do nursing because you know that's what everybody's doing. <laughs> so I started with that. Even my mom was like, Are you sure you want to do that? I was like, Yeah, I want to do that. You know, I want to save lives and blah blah blah. So I <laughs> I later changed my mind because I was already working towards that after I babysat for two three years. So 2005. I applied, I built up my resume enough to start applying to jobs. And my first bank job was with Citibank as a teller. You could swear I was the branch manager. Nobody could tell me nothing. I had built up my resume from McDonald's, which was not my favorite job ever. And then I, I built up my resume going to work at Bloomingdale's on 59th for anybody who lives in New York. Those two things were my resume. All you need is cash experience, customer service experience, which for me, if it's coming from a background of business, we already have customer service experience from my grandmother to my mother. So I already had that embedded in me. It was just the cash experience aspect of it, which I somewhat did, but not American level. But yeah, so from there, I, I became a teller. Well, I, I just shot, I shot for it. I was like, let me try. Just to explain to people the difference between, you know, paying as an international student and or paying as a, a naturalized, you know, like a citizen. So instead of, if you're going to school, <laughs> you're going to take the math class. Like me and Chulu take the math class. She's a citizen, I'm not. She pays 250 for her class. I will pay $300 for her class. Same teacher, same professor, same class, same everything. So that's how it comes for us. And I don't think it is fair that it's that way because as immigrants, we bring so much to the country, especially the economy itself. I, I wish the laws change that for international students, we pay the same thing as the resident. I know <laughs> the citizens have rights, uh, since now I'm a citizen, I still advocate for my fellow immigrants that we should pay the same amount even when it comes to education. So, I mean, just whilst you're on the topic of, you know, I guess visas and all, just mm -hmm. I think walk us through that process of, you know, the types of visas that you've been on and how you were going through them. Because if I'm just like perfectly honest, like the time that I've spent a 
you know, abroad in different countries, whether I was in the UK, um, you know, Europe or the States or Canada, you find that there's a lot of people that their status has expired and they're just living illegally. You know what I mean? And yes. for me, when my visa expired in the States, I was like, the illegal life is not for me. I can't do this. I need to go home because I, I can't. Like, it's, it's just not my portal. <laughs> 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 so for me um once my my term finished i was already i had already embedded myself here i came on a visitor's visa so i was already here and i was already establishing a life so going back home was not an option it, it was so much that came with it i'll tell you this while I got, when I first got into banking, the training was 30 days. And during that time, I met my ex. And I was working in the U.S. on a work permit. So even though I came on a visitors, I ended up having a work permit and a, a social that permits you to work. But it's only one year each. So you continuously have to renew it every year and you have to show proof that you're working. It's a pain and you have to pay. At the time, I think it was like 400 and something. I don't know how much they charge now. Then when I met my ex, we got married and this was not even planned or whatever it was. It was just like we fell in love and we ended up getting married. And then that took away everything else that I I had, except I, after we got married for two years, they gave me a green card for 10 years. I was not planning to be a citizen at the time, to be honest. I traveled a lot with my green card. It's when I came to Zambia, my mom was sick, so I came to visit. I got on the plane. I showed my green card at the airport, at the Zambian airport. I got on the plane. I put my green card Inside my bag, that was a packet. I put it there and I put my passport somewhere else. I sat down and then I remember, I was like, where did I put my green card? I started to search for the green card. I, I was panicking. I'm like, how am I going to leave Dubai? The plan was going to Dubai. How am I going to, to, to leave Dubai if I don't find my green card? I'm panicking. Did I get it back from that guy? That, that scare alone made me... Uh, go for uh, the citizenship. And the citizenship, you have to study 100 questions. With those 100 questions, they pick 10 that they ask you about about America. It, it, it goes all the way to the flag, all the whole history of America. So it's 100 questions, and they randomly pick 10 of them. You have to know from cover to cover, which I did study. I, I had to do that. I, I I was tired of, um, I was scared that one day if I lose my green card, what's going to happen? And that's some of the things that we have to think about when you have a green card, don't sit on it like I did. I did really sit on it. And also when you travel, when we used to travel, it was so, it's weird. When you get to JFK here, they separate you. There's a green card line and there's a U.S. citizen line. So if you have your passport, that's you know, as a citizen, you go on a different line. And I would go on vacation with my ex and would go on different lines. And it was just like bothering both of us. It's just like, you know what? Let's get this with. I had my green card for like five years. <laughs> That's how much I sat on it. Five years and I was just like, okay, let's get it over with. Let's get this citizenship. I just didn't want to go through these hundred questions also. It was, it's a lot. So hundred questions study that and you get it yeah if you're in new york you go straight to the to the office you can look up immigration office close to you they have the the books i'm sure now maybe they even have it online they can have it online so anybody can find it online don't sit on your green card that's the advice i'll give to anybody because it's uh, i got scared and at the time when i was scared i had a newborn I had left my newborn and that's the first thing I was thinking. I was like, oh my God, what's going to happen to my daughter? I need to go back to America. Uh, it, it, it was scary for me. So how long is the process for getting citizenship though? 
They don't tell you how long. So you apply. It's $1,000 that, that you pay. At least that's how much I paid. I don't know how much it is now. But it's $1,000. How long? About maybe six to a year, months it can take. Like, again, they have the right to do whatever they want. They'll give you a time. Once they receive your application, let's say, they'll tell you we received, we're reviewing your application. Mm -hmm. From that point, you have maybe three to four, six months for you to go for the interview. And the interview is the questions that you started. And they also ask you if you traveled. If you travel, they ask you, where, did, where were you this day? Where were you this day? Where were you this day? And I had forgotten. I had been to Canada uh, so many times, and I had forgotten the trip we took to 2012. I was in Zambia, and I also went to uh, Mexico. I forgot about that trip. So when they were asking, I was like, wait, I went to Zambia. I was like, no, but this date, where were you? And you have to remember all the days that you're traveling, if you can, write them down. Um, Because I forgot my days. Uh, I think the person that was interviewing me was very nice. And he was kind enough to wait for me to remember where I was. Some people might not have that patience of, let me let you think of where you were. And they might fail you. But for me, I I was lucky enough for that, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, I think your story is is um, it's interesting because a lot of times I feel like there's sort of this like fear of immigration. You know what I mean? People are kind of just like, ooh, immigration. You don't want to go to the office. You don't want to go ask questions. Ooh, they will capture me straight away, even if I just go and ask a question. Yeah, you know, there's like a perception about the immigration office. So, no, there is. Yeah. And because of what happens in other countries. In other countries, I think it does happen that way. And from what I've heard, before I left, um, no, when I was here, actually, one of my friends was in South Africa. She was having a hard time there, and I think her visa had expired. And from what I've heard, they come looking for you. Why is your visa expired for you to get extension? So maybe from those stories that we hear, we get scared overall as human beings to even go anywhere, as immigrants to go anywhere close to an immigration office, anywhere we are in the world. You're just like, why would I bother? Why they'll ask me too many questions. But I would encourage anybody to... Uh, either ask a lawyer, find a lawyer, talk to a lawyer. I did that. I had one. Um, they are in, in New York, if you're going to college, they ha- there are services. There are immigration services in colleges that they give for free. And also, depending if you work in New York, also they are free. Uh, depending how much you make, they are free lawyers that can represent you. Uh, but remember, those lawyers work for the government. <laughs> so they, even though they have your, the best interests at, uh, at heart for you, still they have their jobs also to do. So, but they do. We do have uh, free lawyers that can represent you. Okay. So you've mentioned that you have a a daughter, but any more children? I have a two-year-old, <laughs> so I have a daughter and a son. Okay, great. Tell us a little bit about being a, a parent of children, especially when you look at the comparison of how you were raised and then how you're raising your children right now. Tulu, I would say uh, when before kids, I would say I was a hypocrite. I would say that because <laughs> uh, before kids, I judged a lot. I was like, oh, I would not be giving my child my phone to watch YouTube. Why would you do that? Because I'm compare- I was comparing myself to how I was raised. I was raised on you play and play is the only thing. I had no toys when I was growing up, but these kids have so much at their disposal my kids have toys for days and it's just ridiculous. It's crazy. 
but um, with my kids, as much as they have the toys, they also have the gadgets that come with it. They have an iPad, they have... So I, as a parent, I am constantly questioning my decisions that I'm making. I have some wins and I have some questionable things that I'm questioning myself constantly to, am I doing this the right way? Am I doing my kids a disservice or is this good for them? So ultimately, um, what I've come to ground myself on and give myself credit to is give them faith. At the core of me is just the faith that I have that my Grandmother installed in me, my mom installed in me. Believing in God is what I have been able to install in them. My daughter can pray now. And my son mumbles something while my daughter is praying at night. <laughs> and um, raising them now as a single mother is even more challenging because the support that you get from another partner is different from your partner. It's different. Mm-hmm. But I'm trying every single day. It's uh, it's a new day to try uh, different things. My son, he's trying. He tests me every day. <laughs> His mommy's little boy. I, I'm I'm a I'm a sucker for him, and I'm trying to to have to have the to raise them to have the bond like I have with my sisters. That's another thing that I'm working on with them. Like. No matter what happens in this world, you have always have the two of the two of you, because nothing is better than you know blood. I understand we meet people in our lives that become sometimes our family members in a way. We adapt them as family members, but when you have a bond with your sibling, I think there's nothing uh, there's nothing better than that. I have that bond with my sisters, and I encourage it with my daughter and son. They fight every day. Every day, no fail, they fight. But when I see them again playing together, we play soccer in the house. And when we're playing together and I see the joy that comes out of them, I'm like, okay, I'm doing something right in a way uh, to create that bond for them. Are you doing anything that in, that teaches them about, you know, their Zambian roots or are they aware about different things? I don't know. It could be food. It could be, I don't know. Yeah. Yes. So I eat, um, when I was pregnant, I, since I've been here, I've been eating Shima the, the, the whole time. I, it tastes different, but I, I eat Shima all the time. And when I was pregnant, whatever I ate, they eat. And now we eat shima. They are excited to eat. We, they call it fufu because of what they see, what they see on TV. Uh, I also show them um, the on TV uh, our music. I expose them to our music. I expose them to our culture uh, differently uh, in a way like they. I I show them the whole Africa instead of just Zambia itself. When we saw Queen of Cartway, and I told my daughter, this is somewhat how mommy used to live. And she, was, she had so many questions because she's not exposed to that. She had so many questions. And that's why I keep going back to YouTube. Sometimes I would show her something and she's like, is that Africa? And even musical videos, she uh, were watching uh, Your Mumps. Uh, the other day, and she she was dancing to his music, and she's like, "Is this in Zambia?" I'm like, "Yes, that's Zambian music that we have." And so slowly but sure, I expose her to everything that Africa has to offer, not just Zambia itself. Our food, she loves African food. I eat Hungarian sausage. She she loves it. I'm like, "Yeah, a Zambian guy makes it with his family." She loves that as well. Awesome. So I know you don't like this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. <laughs> what has dating been like in... <laughs> what has dating been like for, as an immigrant? <laughs> oh, my God, Chulu. <laughs> oh. Oh, jeez. Now it's time to shrink a little. 
I'm a giant. Now I got to shrink a little few inches. Ah, dating. Okay. So I didn't date, date much when I came to the U.S. When I came to the U.S., I had my boyfriend that I left home. Six months later, he came. And then things didn't work out the way we planned. So we separated. After him, it was my ex. So with so my... Hold up, me and like love stories. So then you then you're like, all right, now you met this dashing person in a bank. Tell us about that. <laughs> yes. So someone actually, when we were in training, the trainer was like, Oh, you guys make such a great couple. We were sitting in the front of the uh, the class. I did not notice him first. <laughs> I'll be honest. He noticed me. He would tell you this if you had to talk to him. He noticed me. He said my smile got him. I was like, oh, you know. <laughs> um, but from that point, we we became close. We became very close. We come from different backgrounds, but I would say similar because he's Ukrainian-Russian. When we met, I never saw myself, you know, dating outside my race or dating somebody different because I was attracted to tall guys. My ex, if he entered the house, was you had, he had to go like this to, to, get it, to get in the door. The first time my mom saw him, she was like, wow. Not wow in a way like, okay, he's good looking, but he was just like getting in the door. It's like, how tall are you? I've I've never met anybody who was that tall in my life before him. So yeah. And then when I met my ex-husband, I was, he he was tall, he was tall, taller than me. I'm 5'9". He's uh, 5'11". 5'11". Like almost like my mom's height, actually, five eleven and five uh, ten ish, close to eleven. And from that point, we were just close. Uh, I was living in the Bronx. We decided to move in together, which is, I think, the best decision I ever made. Especially if you're coming from different cultures. Um, he, I believe, <laughs> he was a mama's baby because <laughs> when we moved in together. He would complain, oh, my mom doesn't cook like this. My mom doesn't cook like that. And I would catch an attitude and tell him, you know, your mom lives right there. You can go and eat over there. The only thing is I would say I was very accepting of his culture and him of mine. We saw each other as human beings and nothing else aside from that. Like regardless of our different color, we like that we're actually different color. It's just, we're just attracted to each other as human beings. Nothing came from there. We, I was married for seven years before I even, we even decided to have kids. And my mom was driving me nuts. Every time I would call, she would ask me how my ovaries are doing. <laughs> so I'll tell you this, immigrants, okay? <laughs> like she, before she even says hello. She would tell me, did you go to the doctor? Mule moi. You, you don't want to wait too long to have kids. You want your kids to grow up with you. And meantime, it was just on purpose, the decision that me and my husband had made. Like we wanted to enjoy each other. We were the type of people. My sisters used to laugh. It's like white people things. Would get up in the morning. Let's go to Boston. Would drive to Boston. So why would we take that away from each other? So, <laughs> yeah, my mom drove me nuts. I, I, I stopped calling her from that. And it, it drove me nuts because it's a decision. I think we have to respect people's decisions as parents. If your child decides to go to another country or you, you know, agree with them to go to another country, you have to give them time to be their own person. 
we cannot control our own kids on what decisions they make, even if they end up getting married. Because I got married, my family was not here. That was a bummer for me. It took so many years before they met my husband in person. We would talk almost every time they knew him, but it took so many years for me to introduce him, to officially introduce him to my mom in person. We got married 2007. We went to Zambia for me to formally introduce him 2012. That was a long time. And then 2013... Uh, 2014, we decided to have our kids at that time. So all of this time, we're just enjoying each other's company and enjoying each other's, you know, get to know each other even more. And the diversity of our cultures, even though he came from Ukraine, for me somewhat, he related to my background. His parents, his grandparents were living on a farm. They didn't have that much money and during the holidays, he would go uh, vacation here, I guess I would say. Like vacation, holidays for us Zambians. <laughs> he would go there, visit uh, when school was uh, was out. He would go visit. And it's the same thing I used to do a lot. After I moved to Osaka, I used to go back and forth. So we related in a lot of ways, even though we grew up differently. We related a lot. So how long were you together? 15 years. That's, a, that's like that's like the majority of the time that you've been there. <laughs> yeah, you've been there twenty years. So fifteen yeah. is a long time. Yeah, long time. it's a long, long time. <laughs> that's why even dating now, you know. That's what I was gonna say. Like, are you ready? Like, girl. <laughs> <laughs> I would say this to you. I'm. I've accepted what has happened in terms of our separation, because I'm not even officially divorced yet. It takes forever. By the way, anybody who's going through it, it takes forever to get the divorce signed. And with COVID, uh, things have actually even changed even more. I don't even know when that's going to happen. But I've accepted where I am today. I have peace with everything that has happened. And I'm in a better headspace now than last year. Because last year, I couldn't even talk about my relationship the way I'm talking about it right now. Because everything would bubble up and I'll start bowling. Like just the mention of him is just like, ah, I talked about it all the time. <laughs> so now I'm, um, I'm, I'm happy with where I am. I'm comfortable. It's, it's sad what happened because of the kids. We have two kids and my son is missing how great uh, his father is because he's a great dad. Out of everything, he's an amazing father. Uh, he, used to, he used to go on dates with my, my, my little one, my, my daughter. They would go to the movies. They would hang out all the time. So this kind of took away from, he, from my son to bond with his dad in, in that way as well. That's why it breaks my heart in so many pieces for that. And I hope soon they can build that because he's still young. He can still, you know, he doesn't remember nothing, but my yeah. daughter has questions. So are you co-parenting? <laughs> Not yet. Ah, okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, all right. So, can we say that you're on the market? Because we know we are ready to go. Like, you're looking banging today. So, I'm going to be like, is she ready to mingle? <laughs> I am ready to give somebody a chance. Uh, but they have to meet my energy. I'm a whole different person now. <laughs> they, have, they, they have to meet my energy. Yeah. I'm ready, though. I'm, uh, I, I think I'm ready to give um, love a chance one more time. Yeah. My heart is open enough. I have so much to give. You know, concrete passions, I'm giving so much of myself. And I'm ready to give to that gentleman that's going to treat me like a queen. You done heard it because I know there's some gentlemen that listen to this show. <laughs> 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 All right, my darling. So I think 
being um, an immigrant is something that you're very passionate about, you know, talking about. And yeah. you've created a podcast. Um, if you didn't hear this already, it's called Concrete Pastures. Go and find it. And what would you say are your top three advice for people that are um, that are dreamers that want to go and live abroad or live in another country? I would say um, reach out to me. <laughs> if you're coming to New York, I'll give you the raw version of what it's like to be in New York, US. I have no problem to answer your questions. Um, do your research, really. If you're coming for, to school, look up that school. We have phone numbers everywhere in, uh, on Google. If you're Googling, you can call the school directly. It might cost you something, but get to know more information compared to just showing up and you being surprised and shocked about everything else that's happening around you. <laughs> Another thing, uh, everything is not what it seems. It's not, the life here is not as it seems. Um, I I'm very raw with everything else that has happened, that my journey. I expected things to be a certain way. Don't expect things to be a certain way. You're going to have your challenges and you're going to have your triumphs. But just have an open mind. I would give you that. Have an open mind that things are not as they seem. I like the way you're saying it. It feels very ominous. But I think uh, if I would just go a little bit, you know, deeper into that, you know, and again, this is like from my experience of, you know, seeing how people are living in the UK, seeing how people are living in um, the States, Canada, in different places. I think a lot of times people don't want to actually admit, like, you know, when they move to whatever country it is. You know, they don't want to admit that this is what the lifestyle is like. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so at home, you've saved up for three years. Now you go with a $5,000, 10000 whatever, you know. But then that's not, and then you go home and you're bowling. You know what I mean? But then that's not really the life that you're living when you're in these other countries. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I yeah. Think just so that we can have clarity on what she's saying. <laughs> Yes, no, it's true. It's true because the rent alone, like people on the podcast, the guests that have come on the podcast, they're even giving advice, save up three months of rent if you're looking to move anywhere. New York, I'll tell you, super duper expensive. The rent is 1500 for a small box, just a small box. Forget it if you want to live in, uh, in Manhattan. Brooklyn, we have all these boroughs. Brooklyn, Bronx, Queens, Staten Island, and it's it's a lot. It's if you want to live or you want to imitate the life that you're living, let's say in Zambia, imitating it. If you're bowling in Zambia and you want to imitate it here, it's not going to be the same unless you're already making a hundred thousand dollars there and you bring that money with you. You will, yes, you'll be able to imitate that and find a lovely apartment that's going to fit your income. But other than that, for a lot of us, a lot of people come to live with other people until they establish themselves. Then they start to uh, find their own place on their own. Like when I came, I was living with my aunt. We were literally sleeping three girls on one bed. And it was not even like a king size. This was a queen size bed. Three girls. Good thing it was just two days of a week we'll do that. Because we all did living jobs. But you ne definitely need to humble yourself when you come. <laughs> I would give that. Because everything is different. And you're in a foreign country. Um, build your network. I'm here today. I've been touched by so many people throughout my whole journey. Somebody has deposited something in me throughout I, I didn't get here by myself. Whether it was my community, the, my, my Zambian community, I'm still people doing at work, teaching me, showing me, uh, go here, go there. Um, I'll tell you this story. <laughs> when I first came 
since I was doing babysitting, I kept my money in my suitcase at home. I worked six days. I was only home on Sundays for my first job. Nobody was home until Saturday. My aunt finished their jobs on, Saturday, uh, on Friday night. They would be home by Saturday morning. I joined them on Sundays. My money was home. Their money too was home. My aunt uh, that was here before us were, had an account. Everybody told me to have an account, you need to have a social security number. You have to have certain papers to open up an account. Guess what? I'm telling you, you don't need none of that. I had to find out three years later, after keeping my money in the house, the house could have burned down, someone could have broken in and stole the money because they knew our people watch. We were not never home, ever. We were just lucky that nobody broke into the house and stole our money. Because the first thing people would go to is the suitcases and whatever. My suitcase was was empty, really, but I only kept the money there that I was making. But when I found out, it was I, I was tight. I was like, I should I could have done my own research. I could have gone to the bank, but again, I trusted my community that told me you need a social security. Uh, diversifying your community will teach, will give you more things to learn from. And I only found out by diversifying my community. I was keeping with my Zambian community. I met people from different countries. My, the Nigerian girl that I met, she was the one that told me you can open up an account at Citibank. And I went to Citibank right away to open up with just my passport. Nothing. It doesn't even need your visa to be valid sometimes. So if you're scared that your visa is expired, all we need is your passport. It's, it's ID enough. And probably your driver's license from your country also, we take that as well. But other than that, um, diversifying your network, it will help you a lot. But when you show, when they, people show up for you, they expect you to show up for them as well. It goes both ways. It's just how friendships work. You know, I remember when I was leaving the country, probably for the first time, to go for an extended period. And the advice my mom gave me, she was just like, read. <laughs> that was her advice. She was like, read. And I think one of the things that um, just being in another country that that I learned was to to do the, like you're saying, do the research and be um, proactive and, you know, do yeah. do your due diligence. So, you know, reading, yeah. reading, reading. And I mean, you've got all these resources now. Back then it was a bit more challenging where you yes. know, the internet yes. wasn't there, you know. Yeah. And, but literally just that advice, read, I think really helped me to, to not feel as lost. <laughs> I know no, that, it, it helps. But so many people want to be like spoon fed. So even now, like I'm back home and, you know, you tell somebody, okay, go and do this thing. And then they want you to tell you, tell them every single detail of how you should do it. And I'm like, bruh, go and do the research. <laughs> like, it's not difficult. Just pick up your phone. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, anyway. it's true. <laughs> it's true. This is why I'm, I'm, I'm shining the light on the life of immigrants. This way we can make way for other people that are coming after us. We, we did, we're doing the work for them. We already have the experience and we're just sharing what our experience is about. So with Concrete Patches, that motivated me because going through all of these things, I'm like, damn, I should have just done it myself, gone to the bank and not trusting people so much. It's okay to trust but also do your due diligence. It's, it's, it's okay. It's okay to get a second opinion, third opinion, fourth opinion. Somebody tells you you have cancer, you just don't take it for whatever the one doctor says. Go to another one. And we do that for our medical things. I hope everybody does. But why don't you do that for our day-to-day living? But, you know, I'm just going to touch on one more thing when it comes to immigration <laughs> before we stop. You know, I, I don't know if it's more of a, a, a UK thing, but there was always this sense like in the in the different communities, the country communities, where it yeah. was kind of like people weren't really united to the point where, you know, somebody gets deported, they get reported on by their fellow countrymen. <laughs> 
<laughs> so you know there's like all this all this uh tension within you know same nationalities like nobody really trusts each other and i think wow. it's such a i think it's such a loss because you know when you look at you look at uh countries like let's say nigeria in a sense they're also a bit you know uh tribalistic you know they stay they are very uh tight with their certain tribes but yeah. there is that unity where they really help each other they are investing back home you know they're they're not like against each other you know but i do think that in other countries and in other communities of that sort there has been that history of you know like oh okay i'm going to get you out. i would speak on that too I would speak on that too. Um, when I first came with, on our Zambian communities, um, we have too much jealousy against each other. Like if somebody's doing something, uh, we automatically be, uh, are jealousy of what the person is doing. But we forget that we are all individuals. And what God gives somebody else it doesn't mean it's for you. So everybody, every one of us has our different journey and people are terrified to share what they're up to because they don't want to get that. They either discourage you or that's not the the way. Because even with a cell phone, I didn't have a cell phone forever until I met, I think, this guy from um, the embassy, our, our mission here, Zambian mission. In Manhattan, and he told me, he's like, oh, yeah, you can go to Sprint and get a, a flip phone. I was like, seriously? Like, yeah, you could go. Let's go right now. We went, and I got my, my first cell phone, but it was also like a year after, <laughs> after being here, because somebody told me, because they had waited before they got that cell phone. So just because they had waited, I had to wait too that long to get my papers in order for me to get that cell phone. But it doesn't work like that for everybody. And the the networking of the our Zambian community is much better now compared to before, I would say. But they have been very supportive when it comes to the uh, Concrete Passion platform. They were very excited that this is happening and they want more people to be on the uh, on the podcast actually to share their stories uh, on different topics, because the topics that we don't think about, like dying, which is taboo to talk about. And <laughs> let me just throw some out there: healthcare, insurance, <laughs> you know, repatriation, you know, like sis. I remember in yes. university we used to like tell each other, like with the international students, if I get sick, don't you ever call the ambulance. Like ever, just call a call a cab and get me to the hospital because we're all like that bill is like way too much for us. No, yeah. that bill is for for everybody. Like calling the nine one one is super expensive, mm-hmm. it, I, and even going to the emergency room. I have health insurance for my kids and me. I have life insurance for my kids and me, but you pay for those things. But with the health insurance portion of it. It's so expensive. I would be frank. I'm paying close to $500 for me and my kids. It comes out of my paycheck every month. So I understand when people choose not to have health insurance because that's more on their paycheck. But in the long run, one thing that COVID has taught us is that life is too short. You are not going with everything else that you're making. You can sit on your $100,000 in your house. But once you pass away, God forbid, from that sickness, because you can't go to the doctor, you don't have insurance, who's coming to get that money? The relatives that did not work for it, okay? (laughs) What is it called? Blackjack? Black tax? Black tax. They come collecting. They'll come collecting yes. from you. So they'll come and collect that hard work that you've put in. Instead, why don't we take care of us now? We take care of us with life insurance, even though it costs you now, but it's better in the long run. Something happens to you, we are able to bury you with your life insurance. 
instead of not having anything. And the donations, everybody has bills. We all want to donate. It's not like people don't want to donate. It's just that we all have bills. A lot of us are living paycheck to paycheck. So to take out that $200, $300, which is nothing uh, to contribute to, to buy the coffin, to transportation of not everybody wants to be buried here and people want to be buried in Zambia, but moving that body from here to Zambia, mm, you can buy a house in Zambia. Just saying. For, for that money. I know, but like, even when you get here, that same plot, that ka, ka box where they put you in, that one is like a whole plot itself. <laughs> it costs a whole plot. So it's like the charges just keep on adding and adding. But anyway, yes. So, but how, much, how much, just for the fun of it, like how much do they charge for the plot? For like a, a cemetery plot? Yeah. It can be anywhere from like 35000 Depends where you're, where you're buried. Because there's let's say there's the classy cemeteries and then you've got uh the ones run by uh council i guess the cemetery run by council which would be probably in like the 10 15 range uh 10,000 15,000 range but then you know uh, there's a certain barrier there's a certain cemetery that everybody wants to be buried at you know <laughs> and even in there there's even like sections for like deluxe like don't get me started but anyway um yeah because no, like, I, I think it's just for the uh for for, for our audiences like they can understand mm-hmm. what it's like because for me i don't even know how much it costs it's not something that i look into and i'm looking forward to having this topic with um someone that's here actually to talk about it, about how we get buried back home. I mean, not that I'm planning to die anytime soon, but it's some, it's a topic that needs to be had yeah. um, in case something happens. Yeah, like, definitely. Because I, I COVID mean, taught us a lot. <laughs> it's, it's a lot. And yeah, but it's, I mean... It's Today a- you're here, tomorrow you're not here. And you want to make sure you prepare um, for those of us with kids here. At least... Uh, once they are older, I can let them know, listen, I have a plot back home or I have a plot here. This is where I want to be uh, to be buried. Have those conversations with your kids. Like, yeah. we shouldn't be so scared to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're Africans and our culture tells us that uh, if we talk about these things, you are calling it upon your head. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So what we're going to do is we're going to stop right here, but it's been fantastic hearing um, part of your story. And obviously there's so much to unpack in all of your experiences that you've been through. Too much. You know, just like your work experience, the different types of work that you've been being a parent, uh, whether it's in a relationship or as a single parent, you know, traveling as well because I think one of my favorite things to do is travel and you're well yeah me too there's so many things that you can unpack in and you are doing that in your podcast so guys please go check out Concrete Pastures it is available wherever you listen to your podcasts okay so and I'll put the link in the show notes so Nancy it's been absolutely amazing tell people how do they get in contact with you how do they support you where do people find you you can find me on Instagram Facebook both platforms are called concrete pastures and now um Podbean is where we house our podcasts, please, wherever you get yours also, you can find me on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get it, we are there as well. And if you'd like to be part of the show, feel free to reach out. I I can't wait to be inspired by anybody. Yay, exciting. <laughs> All right. Thank you for being on the Africana Woman Podcast. I appreciate you. I've had fun. <laughs> There's so many things, like ways I want to go, but it's okay. We 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 have to stop somewhere. So, Nancy, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This was such an honor. Um, I'm grateful. Thank you, guys. 
Living in another country is not for the faint of heart. You really have to be strong because so much is going to be thrown at you. It's things like the obvious, raising kids with no support system, racism, your education being questioned, you know, and that's like your intelligence being questioned, taking jobs which you would never do back home in your own country. Dating is a different ball game. And do I have to say it? Sometimes the food is bland. Guys, if you can't even enjoy food, then what's the point? <laughs> and then the homesickness kicks in. Your mental health starts to deteriorate. Hey. The key here is find a community ASAP. Like ASAP, you know? Diversify your community because then you get a wider range of knowledge that you can tap into. Do research. Now, I know some people don't even like this word. It's like a cuss word. Come on now. I'm so sorry if you're going to live in another country. The life of being spoon-fed information is over. It's done. It's a done deal. You have to be proactive in doing your research. Uncle Google is there to always give you a hand. Ish. Anyway. If you need more information on what it's like to be an immigrant, go subscribe Concrete Pastures podcast by Nancy Mulemwansisi. <laughs> it is about that time that we celebrate our guest. Please find Nancy on Instagram at Concrete Pastures. Tell her you heard her on the Africana Woman podcast and say thank you and let her know what you learned. You know, I remember when I was starting the Africana Woman podcast, I was lost. I was a lost ducky. No equipment, no systems, no training, no editing. Like, says I was a hot mess. But two years down the line, I am so proud of the podcast and how far I have come. The mission of Africana Woman has always been to amplify African women's stories. Therefore, we are helping you start and maintain your podcast. If you have a burning idea and and are interested in launching a podcast, but you don't know where to start, contact us. Since we're here. Yeah? So just email us at africanawoman at gmail.com. Your story is so important. You have no idea. Now, my playground is Instagram. Find me at Chulu by Design. Tag me. Tell your friends about the Africana Woman podcast. And again, leave a review, especially on Apple Podcasts, because that helps us spread the word about this show to more African sisters out there. Talk to you soon. Love you so much. This has been a production of Africana Woman Media. <laughs>